All right, everybody, it's your boy, George Becknell. And as always, I am highly opinionated. Man, we got a few things to talk about. First things first, we got to talk about these LSU Tigers, their national champions. We're going to talk about how they became the national champions. We're going to talk about are they the greatest team of all time. We're going to talk about a little bit of NFL news. We're going to talk about Odell Beckham. And we're going to talk about whether or not Drew Brees should retire. So I'm going to break all that down for you right after this. everybody i'm back with another episode of the highly opinionated podcast and look before you do anything else if you haven't hit the subscribe button hit subscribe and share this podcast with a friend i'll be bringing you a lot more content i'll be putting in a lot more work on this and giving y'all all the news and opinions that you can handle on sports but for this episode i got some news and unless you've been living under a rock or on mars this week you probably already heard, but I'm going to go ahead and let you know. Anyway, the LSU Tiger football team, that's right, the LSU Bayou Bengals are the national champions. They were able to become the national champions by beating the defending national champion, the Clemson Tigers, who had the longest winning streak, the longest active winning streak in the country at 29 straight games. They handed Trevor Lawrence his first loss of his college career. Um, Dabo Sweeney and his troops came in, favored by ESPN. Go to show you how much they know. And LSU's national champions. But it, it looked kind of shaky for a little while because in the first quarter, I'm going to be honest, Clemson had them. Clemson came out and punched LSU in the mouth. You know, all week you heard, it was strength on strength. It was the best scoring defense in Clemson versus the best scoring offense in LSU, who scored the most points in the AP poll era this year. So record-setting offense LSU, right? Brent Venables, who is probably the best defensive coordinator in the country, came out and had a great game plan. You know, he started out six DBs. He played six, seven DBs the whole time. He didn't have a whole lot of down linemen playing, you know, less than normal. And he bought blitzes from a bunch of different directions. And in the first quarter, Joe Burrow looked really uncomfortable. And I haven't seen him look that uncomfortable ever. Well, not this season anyway. You know, and uh, LSU became one-dimensional real quick. That You know, everybody's comparing their offense to the New Orleans Saints offense. Well, in that first quarter of the national title game, they really looked like this New Orleans Saints offense because they didn't run the ball, like, at all. Like, they forgot what a run was. Side note, Coach Payton, bit of advice. It's okay to run Latavius Murray. In 2020, please run Latavius Murray. It'll help. But anyway, back, back to LSU. So, 
Clemson came out, punched him in the mouth. They weren't able to move the ball at all on offense, and the defense was on the field most of that first quarter and into the second quarter. So the Tigers, well, the Clemson Tigers jumped out on the LSU Tigers to a 17-7 lead, right? But after that, the Tigers were dominant. They outscored Clemson 35-8 to the rest of the game. Um, they looked to run away with it. Once, once the Tigers were the LSU Tigers were able to run the ball and create some balance on offense and open up the pass, and Jamar Chase had had himself a date. He caught nine balls for over 200 yards. Joe Burrow was Joe Burrow. He was amazing. Um, he was, but he really started making plays with his feet to get the offense going. You know him. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, as always, they were able to get out in open space and really make some plays in that run game to allow LSU to be the LSU that we're used to seeing. And the final score was 42-25. to 25. And I'll be honest with you, the game wasn't that close. You know, Coach O, and shout out to Coach O, man. Since he's been the LSU coach, he's always been a very, very classy individual. He's always handled himself like a gentleman. And, you know, the game was winding down. He put the Tigers in the victory formation on the Clemson five-yard line. They could have won the game 49-25, but it wasn't necessary. So, very classy act by Coach O. But the, my reason for bringing that up, I just want you guys to understand how dominant this LSU Tigers team was after being down 10 points. And just to understand how dominant they were the whole season, them going down 10 points in the national title game was the first time they trailed anybody the whole season by 10 points. You know, that's major. But, you know, let's let's truly understand how good they were. So I'm going to give some props to the defense because this defense took a lot of heat at the beginning of the year, and deservingly so, because the offense carried the football team, which is very, very uncharacteristic of an LSU football team, you know. We, we're used to seeing down here in Louisiana, we're used to seeing three yards in a cloud of dust and, and very, very good defense. You know, in the Les Miles era, LSU won games, I don't know, 17 to 10 and things like that because they wouldn't score. So at the beginning of the year, it was the complete opposite of what we were used to seeing because the offense was just outscoring people and the defense wasn't really good. Now, the Ole Miss game, I felt like was the turning point. After the Ole Miss game, this defense really, really got in gear, and they started playing well and holding some very, very good opponents to some low scores, you know. So props to the defense. But I'm going to read a couple of stats to you guys just so you can understand how good they played in this national title game. Start off with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, as a starter, he's a, he's a sophomore, and he started out his career 29 and 0, like I like I said earlier. You know, this was the first loss of his college career. This is the brother that beat the brakes off of Alabama last year and balled. Looked like he was by far the best player on the field last year when they played Alabama in the national championship game and won. Um, he's obviously played well all season. Now, granted, Clem the ACC has has fallen off a little bit. Not really Clemson's fault, but they weren't really challenged until they played Ohio State, which. I got to give Trevor Lawrence some props. He made some big plays. But against LSU, he started out well, but he was 18 for 37, 
less than 50% completion rate, 234 yards passing, not really Trevor Lawrence material. And, you know, Dave Aranda, you know, I talked about Brent Venables getting creative with his blitzing. Dave Aranda got real creative with his blitzing too once LSU got up. And Trevor Lawrence was very, very uncomfortable the, the whole second half. He had a, he had 13 overthrows, you know, and this is a very, very accurate quarterback, big arm quarterback, probably going to be the first pick of the 2021 NFL draft. But to hold him to these pedestrian numbers, very, very impressive. Travis Etienne. Now, you might look at this and say, hey, you know, 15 carries, 15 carries for 78 yards, averaging five yards a carry with a touchdown, you know, you might say that that's a really, really good game, you know, but he did have a one of those runs was a 29-yard run. But this brother was averaging eight yards a carry the whole season, so LSU held him under his total. And then we're going to talk about T. Higgins. T. Higgins is going to be a very good NFL receiver. He's a 1,000-yard receiver this year. He's really had a great year, and he only caught three balls. So – this Clemson offense is a very, very high-powered offense. You, you, now, you look at LSU's offense, obviously they're not as good as LSU's, but there's not many offenses as good as Clemson. And in the second half, they couldn't do anything with this LSU defense. So hats off to them. Um, but the offense did what they normally do, and the Tigers are national champions. So – with that being said, let, let's kind of look at this year a little bit, you know. You know, all things considered, now the year is finally over. Everybody's been talking about how great this offense is, how great this team is, you know. Just to put in perspective what these guys have accomplished throughout the year, you know. If you beat two or three top ten teams in the season, that's considered really dominant. Well, LSU's played seven teams who at the time that they played them were in the top ten and beat all seven of them. You know, they went to Tuscaloosa and beat Bama, which is which to me was really the accelerator of the season, if you will, to where I think the team went to another level once they went in Alabama and won because they haven't been winning in Alabama. They lost eight straight. Normally, the team is intimidated by the Alabama, in my opinion. But this year, they went in there with attitude and beat them, right? You beat a very, very good Georgia team. You embarrassed Oklahoma in the college football playoffs. You scored 49 points against somebody in the college football playoffs. You dominate Clemson. You score a bunch of points on Auburn's defense. Like, this team has really been dominant the whole year. And look at all the awards that they've won. Like, Joe, Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow, in my opinion, has had the greatest season of any college football player I have ever seen. I mean, just taking into consideration what this what, – what, even before we get to his stats and what he's able to accomplish, just take in mind – just keep in mind the, the reputation of LSU offense. LSU was three yards in a cloud of dust. I mean, you're talking about a team that wouldn't score any points. I think the the record for passing at LSU is something like 36, 3,700 yards, right? 
So for this brother to come in and be the face of the change of this offense puts him on another level. But let's look at what he actually what he actually achieved statistically. Like he threw for 5600 yards in college. That's absurd at LSU. He threw for 60 touchdowns to only six interceptions. So not only did he ball, but he protected the football. He won the Heisman. He won the best quarterback award. Joe Burrow, hands down, has had the greatest season of any college football player ever. Talking about with his impact, winning the Heisman, his stats, and winning the national title in the dominant fashion that they have, I will be hawk. Compare him to anybody. And I'm not talking about his skill set. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about who you think is a better player or who you who we would think is a better NFL player. I'm just talking about what he's been able to accomplish in one season. No one to ever play college football had a better season than what Joe Burrow had in 2019. I'll put that on against anybody. Anybody. I don't care. Doesn't matter. Find somebody. Joe Burrow had a better season. You know, you look at Jamar Chase. He won the Blitnikoff Award, but he wasn't even the only 1,000-yard receiver on his team. Justin Jefferson had a hell of a year, too. Clyde Edwards-Alaire had 1,000 yards. The offensive line was the award for the best offensive line. Coach O wins Coach of the Year. Joe Brady wins Assistant of the Year. Grant Delpit wins Defensive Back of the Year. I mean, this team was dominant, and you can't find a team with a better resume. You just can't. There's a couple of teams in my mind to compare this LSU team to. You know, when we talk about dominant football teams, I mean, the first team that comes to my mind is that 2001 Miami Hurricanes team. You know, that team with Ken Dorsey, Andre Johnson, uh, Frank Gore, Jonathan Vilma, Jeremy Shockey. Like, I'm talking about the whole team went pro. And I'm missing great players, you know. To their credit, they beat every team that they played, right? And that's all you could do. You can only play your schedule. They beat every team that they played, right? You know, but you look at some of these scores, they would they had some games where they scored less than 30 points, less than 40. I think LSU scored a lot more than they did. And LSU played a lot stiffer competition, too. Because if you look at it, that old Big East, eh, is nothing compared to the gauntlet LSU went through this year, you know? Yes, they played Florida State. They played Washington in the Pac-10 back then. And they also played Virginia Tech, which was a conference rival. They barely beat. And they also beat Nebraska pretty good in the Rose Bowl to win the national championship. You know, even looking at this schedule, what they were able to accomplish is less is less impressive than what LSU was able to accomplish this year. You know, when you're talking about beating Auburn at home the way they did, the points that they scored on Auburn, which was the best defense probably that they played. Auburn and Clemson, probably the best two defenses that they played. Going into Alabama, winning there, 
embarrassing Oklahoma the way they did, putting up 49 points in the first half in the playoff, you know, beating Georgia pretty badly by 27 in the SEC title game. I don't even think it's close, you know. Now, you can argue that Miami might have had more talent. I think that remains to be seen because we give Miami a lot of credit for all of those guys going pro. And I think this team, this LSU team, is going to have (laughs) most of these guys go pro as well. So I guess time will tell about what these guys do in their NFL careers. But, I mean, if you're just looking at what the team's accomplished on paper and and comparing who was more dominant, I got to give the nod to LSU over this over this 2001 Miami team. And I also got one more team to compare them to. I'm going to compare them to this 2004 USC team. Now, this USC team was one of the more popular teams ever to play. Obviously, you had like Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush. You had Mike Williams at receiver. You had Lindell White and, and a bunch of other guys too. Like this was, this was a team that – they might have not had the NFL talent that that 2001 Miami team had, but they dominated. Um, in 2003, they split the national championship with uh, with LSU. I think they felt some type of way about that, and it motivated them to kind of come out and like blast everybody almost, you know. But again, you can only play the teams that you play. But looking at the schedule again, they were 13 and 0. But the best team they played was Oklahoma, who's the number two team in the country in the title game. Now, they beat them. They beat them pretty bad, 55-19. They left no doubt in the championship game. But they played a lot of close games during the season of games that shouldn't have been close. You know, like like Oregon State, for example, wasn't ranked. They beat them by eight. You know, Cal, they beat Cal, top ten team. But they only beat them by six. You know, they, they they weren't as dominant as this LSU team. And you talk about two of the most dominant teams ever. You know, especially in my lifetime. Now, you can go back before 1990 if you want. You know, 1995, Nebraska was really, really good. But they still didn't have the type of resume that this 2019 LSU team had. So, my opinion, you know, not being a homer, just being as objective as possible. There's no team in the history of college football that has the resume of this LSU team, and they got to be considered the greatest of all time, you know, and especially Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow has the greatest season of all time. So that's just me. But moving on to some to some news, you know, and speaking of this LSU Tiger team, Odell Beckham Jr., was at the game on the sideline. And, and, you know, as he should be, you know, he's the most popular LSU player in the NFL right now. And, you know, it's always good. You know, he wasn't the only one. You know, he had a, if you looked on that sideline, Booker McFarlane was there, Devin White, you know, Tyron Matthew. You had all kind of LSU guys, Tredavious White as well. You had all kind of LSU alumni on the sideline supporting the team. And I thought that was amazing. But, in the celebration, everybody's going wild. Odell Beckham decides it's a good idea to be handing out cash to the athletes. You know, now obviously uh, this is a this is a situation for y'all who are not familiar. 
um, it is an NCAA violation for someone who's considered, you know, to be affiliated with the university, whether a booster or alumni or anybody like that, just to be giving money to the student athletes. That's, you know, as ridiculous as it sounds to the NCAA, that's paying players and they're not amateur athletes and they could be ruled ineligible, right? Now, it's a small thing. It was celebration. So I don't think anything is going to come of this. But the fact that we have to address this is ridiculous. You know, LSU's already reached out to the SEC and to the NCAA, um, letting them know that they're investigating the situation and they're trying to, you know, find a solution, find an answer or whatever. But I'm not even talking about that part. I just want to talk about how selfish of Odell Beckham to do something like that. You know, and this and he played at LSU. He knows the rules. He knows he knows what type of position he's putting these guys in. And I'm not saying like, oh my God, Odell broke the rules. No. It's about you being able you being afforded an opportunity to go play in the NFL and be one of the best receivers in the NFL and making a whole lot of money. And he deserves his money. But you can't be so selfish to where you want that type of attention to where you could possibly ruin this opportunity for somebody else. You know, so in my opinion, Odell's out of line. You know, maybe he should get some type of slap on the wrist from LSU, maybe maybe suspend him from the games for a little while because he needs to understand that the position that he put these players in is ridiculous. And had somebody put him in that type of position when he played, he might have still made it to the NFL, but he might not be making as much money as he as he is. He might have not been drafted as high, you know. Because I mean, if you look at if you look at some of the things that the NCAA has has done in the past, you know, with, with guys like I I, I don't know. I, I'm just I'm just sick of this whole thing where you know the players should be getting some type of compensation anyway. But you know, you look at a situation like Reggie Bush. I understand it's a lot more extreme, but Reggie Bush worked hard. He played the right way. You know, um, he was a very, very good football player. And he gave his Heisman Trophy back because the school paid for his family and apartment. Dude wasn't on steroids. You know, he, he just, his family took an apartment from the university and he's ruled ineligible. And because Odell wants to party, he's putting somebody else at risk by just giving them money. That's ridiculous. But uh, but moving on, um, in other news, uh, Luke Keekley from the Carolina Panthers decided to retire. Uh, hats off to him. You know, as as obviously in Louisiana as a Saints fan, I'm not sorry to see him go <laughs> because he was a hell of a player for the Carolina Panthers. But, you know, the brother was a was a very, very good linebacker. He uh he carried himself in a in a in a great way all the time. He worked hard, he always made plays. In eight years, he made seven Pro Bowls. That's impressive. Hell of a career. Congratulations to Luke Keekley um, on retirement. The other news, you got Chad Ochocinco, who is uh, considering being a kicker in the XFL. Hmm. I mean, whatever, bro. Go for it. He's made a couple of extra points in his NFL career. He's kicked off a few times. I mean, I don't know. Makes for good TV. 
you know, I, I, I'm with it. Good job, Ocho Cinco. And uh, a little bit closer to home, Drew Brees has made it official that he's coming back. He's not retiring. You know, even though there was some speculation of maybe maybe he should retire. Um, but he's coming back. Now, obviously, as a Saints fan, I'm a big, big Drew Brees fan. Um, you know, just talking, just thinking about where the franchise was before Drew Brees got here. You know, the Saints from about 1967 to 2005, the Saints won one playoff game ever. So in that Drew Brees, Sean Payton era, they became not only Super Bowl champions, but they were Super Bowl contenders for a big part of that. They had a little spurt where they were 79 a lot, but for the most part, they were Super Bowl contenders or at least a threat to go deep in the playoffs. Um, Drew has set every record, almost every passer record you could set. You know, passing yards in the season, he set that until uh, Peyton Manning broke it. He's got the most 5,000-yard passing seasons ever. He's got the most passing yards in NFL history. He's got the highest completion percentage. He's got the highest completion percentage for a season. He's got the most touchdowns ever. He's run, he's run up a bunch of records and is no doubt a Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Fame quarterback. And in my opinion, he's been the greatest player in Saints history. Um, but that being said, Drew Brees turned 41 yesterday. And his arm strength is declining. You know, he was greatly helped by his injury because he was able to miss five, six weeks last last year. And he looked every bit of 40 in that playoff game, you know, against the Vikings that they lost. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't blame him for the Vikings' loss. If I had to blame, put blame, I, I felt like the, the play calling wasn't good. It, Sean Payton's a brilliant play caller, but he wasn't his best that game. The team had no balance. You know, it was a close game most of the game. 37 dropbacks compared to 16 runs, it's not going to cut it. Um, but Breeze did look every bit of 40 in that game. Um, now, I still think he could be a productive quarterback um, if Sean Payton decides that the Saints are going to be a run-first football team. Then Drew, uh, obviously, is good enough to manage the game and make plays because he is still Drew Breeze. And every so often, you're going to see a performance like he had against the Colts where he's 29 for 30. You know, when when athletes age, it doesn't mean that they can't play at a high level. It means that they don't play at a high level as consistently as they used to. You know, I'm a big Michael Jordan fan. When Michael Jordan played with the Wizards, Mike would go for like 40, 50 some nights. But if it was a back-to-back, the next night he'd have two points. You know, it, it's, it's no different with Drew. You know, Drew's still the most accurate quarterback in NFL history, and he's still an effective quarterback now. But he's not capable of carrying the Saints the way he used to. Now, if Sean Payton decides he wants to run the ball, because in my opinion, the play calling was better when Teddy Bridgewater was starting at quarterback. He called Sean Payton that had the offense balanced. They, they ran the ball a lot more. And Teddy Bridgewater was playing in third and manageable situations. With Drew Brees at quarterback, there's no, there's no balance. And a lot of times he gets behind the sticks. 
you know, third and long, third and ten, third and eight, you know, that's a tough situation to put any quarterback in, um, even a quarterback as good as Drew Brees. So, with all that being said, you know, think and you think about the last couple of years, how it ended in disappointment because the Saints were, you know, very, very close. You know, you think about the Saints had the Vikings beat 2017, Minnesota Miracle happens, boom, you're out, you're going home. Saints probably would have beat the Eagles, in my opinion, would have went to the Super Bowl. 2018, you know, you got an egregious no call on the pass interference in the NFC title game. If that call is made like it should have been made, the Saints go to the Super Bowl. I understand that Drew Brees had a chance to win the game in overtime. He didn't. Hats off to the Rams for winning. But if that if that penalty is called, Saints go to the Super Bowl. And this year, Saints are 13-3 again. Um, they have a horrendous loss at home to the Falcons, which if they don't lose that game, which they shouldn't have, they have 14-2 and and they have the one seed in the NFC. But they don't, so they got to play wild card weekend and the Vikings come in and Mike Zimmer and Leslie Frazier, the, Mike Zimmer is the head coach of the Vikings. Leslie Frazier is the uh, defensive coordinator. And they outcoach Sean Payton, plain and simple. And they beat the Saints. So you got three years where the Saints are really, really good, considered the class of the NFC, and they lose in the playoffs in disappointing fashion. So how long is that window opportunity open? I don't think that window stays open that long. You know, you got a lot of guys that you're going to need to pay, a lot of young guys. And I personally think, as crazy as this sounds, it's going to sound blasphemous, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's, it's the right decision. The Saints need to move on from Drew Brees. Drew can still be productive, but the way the play calling is, Sean Payton doesn't believe in balance. He likes to throw the ball a lot. Drew Brees is not the guy to be able to do that. Now, if he wants to balance offense, I think at this point in Drew Brees' career, he could be a game manager, and he's still Drew. So the game is on the line. He can get you downfield. He's got one of the most, I don't know, top two or three game-winning drives in NFL history, something like that. So the man could be clutch. It's just that he can't carry this football team anymore. And – I think it's time for the Saints to at least have a success on the roster. I think with a full season as a starting quarterback, a full training camp, and Sean to design the system around Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Bridgewater can't be that guy. I would like to see Teddy have an opportunity. I love Drew Brees. It would hurt my soul to see him play in another uniform. But how – Long can you ignore the long-term future of the Saints for another year of Drew Brees? Like, how many times can we do that? You know, um, I think it's time, but it's not up to me. Um, and that's 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 really all I got for y'all this week. Um, if you like what you heard, please subscribe. I always put my contact info. In the description of the episode. So follow me on Twitter at George underscore Becknell. Follow me on Instagram at, at Becknell Media. Um, any type of feedback you have, 
I'm always welcome to hear it. Any topics you want me to cover, I'm always, I'm always open to having new ideas. Tell me what you like, what you don't like. Uh, and that's all I got for you this week. So take it easy, hit subscribe, and go Tigers.